If trauma is passed down in our DNA, then wisdom is too. What is that wisdom as it relates to health? If you're still with me, stay with me. I'm talking to you today about Health Immemorial. You're listening to The Purple Stethoscope. I am your host, Devin Nixon, family nurse practitioner. None of the information in this podcast is sufficient nor intended to diagnose your personal medical issue, but there's a lot to learn, so let's start the show. I hope this finds you well. Um, Where I live, it's a little bit gray and kind of wet and cold and... um, You know, you can look at the seasons in so many different ways, um, but winter for me uh, is just really about... I don't want to say hibernation, but I do want to say turning inward and resting and getting quiet. And I have been doing that and just growing so much, learning so much um, and healing in the ways that I need to heal at the pace that I um, have the capacity to do so. And so today I'm feeling really good. I'm behind on a ton of projects um, and (laughs) I had to decide of all the things I'm behind on, what do I want to pick up and make sure um, that I complete today? And the Purple Stethoscope podcast was at the top of my list. I've been doing a lot of writing, a lot of thinking, a lot of researching, a lot of meditating, and just turning things over in my mind, things that um, I'd like to see shift in medicine, in healthcare, and those things are always inspired by my experience as a healthcare provider, as a nurse practitioner, as well as my lived experience as a black American woman. And those two things intersect in a way that at times is really frustrating and difficult, but at other times is so beautiful and so rewarding. And I think that's what's kept me over the years uh, is the perspective that I come into this work with which, you know, kind of gives me certain advantages uh, because I am a little closer, I think, in proximity to some of my patients in the sense that there are some privileges that I don't hold, even though I'm in a privileged position, uh, understanding what it means to come from a lineage that is often unheard, overlooked, or uh, targeted, or intentionally oppressed, and practicing from a role that is inherently uh, powerful and privileged. And so I'm constantly thinking about how these things intersect, how they run into each other, what I can offer my community from the perspective and vantage point of my role and what I can offer my profession from the perspective and vantage point of my lived experience, uh, which is where this work that I'm about to share with you guys is born from. I was given an opportunity to really consider some of what is possible to come out of the chaos of the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's something that I sat with for months before I put my pen to the paper to write on the subject because I really had to 
carry that question with me as I went through my days and um, my work days, my off days, and observe just people, observe patients, observe myself, and consider the possibilities coming out of this pandemic. One of the things that has been really evident is that people don't want to come to the clinic. People don't want to come to the hospital. And you really can't blame them because folks don't want to expose themselves to COVID-19. As you all well know, folks who are vaccinated and boosted, including myself, I got COVID and I'm super careful. I'm vaccinated. I'm boosted. I always wear my PPE or um, protective equipment <laughs> at work and um, I don't wear a mask in my household. And, um, and, you know, we don't have company, we don't have people over, but our children go to school and they go to school face to face. And the next thing you know, I even got COVID. And so you can certainly understand why folks don't want to be out and about and why they don't want to go into the clinic or into the hospital. But what does that mean? What does that mean? And how do we fare? You know, I do a lot of work in the health equity space. And I have a lot of thoughts about health equity. Sometimes I think I don't want what this other group has. I want the option. I want the option. I want the freedom to choose and to have the option. Because culturally, I move a little differently um, than, you know, the dominant culture. And so giving me access to what they have doesn't always answer my problem uh, because that's not culturally safe. It's not culturally adequate um, to just give me, you know, something someone else has and go there. You're both equal. Um, For instance, the first time I was hospitalized, I think I was about eight years old. I had ear, nose and throat issues. I couldn't hear. So my speech was kind of messed up and it was kind of you know, I didn't know. I, to be quite honest with you, I didn't know nothing was wrong with me because I didn't know any different. Um, but it turned out I needed some surgeries and and ended up having to go into the hospital. And this is probably when I fell in love with medicine in second grade. And uh, breakfast came in the hospital, and I'll never forget seeing what I thought was grits, this bowl of white um you know, grain, hot cereal. I thought it was grits and I was ready to just dig in. It was cream of wheat and cream of wheat is not grits. And I know there are people who like cream of wheat out there. Um, And I'm glad for that because y'all can have it. You can have all of it. I don't ever want to see it ever again in life because I like grits and I felt like I was duped in my introduction to cream of wheat Uh, Cream of wheat is not grits. They might be equally good. They might be equally nourishing. They might be equally tasty to some people. Again, not me. So giving me cream of wheat because so-and-so likes it, it's not a way to make me feel cared for. It's a way to make me feel duped. It's a way to make me feel uh, like you're trying to mess with me, you know? And I think a lot of times when we talk about issues of equity, the same thing can happen, right? Um, One size doesn't fit all. And we can't prescribe these kind of care plans that make sense 
to somebody in this culture, but our patient comes from a totally different community. And then we wonder why we have um, these disparate outcomes. And so I've been thinking on the subject, I've been toiling with it, wrestling with it, writing about it, and getting ready to actually publish on the subject as well. You know, reframing health from modern health care to health immemorial, that's what I'm calling it. That's the, the term that I'm coining because immemorial means of ancient, uh, of, of, of no origin, always. This is just what it is. And in many ways, in so many ways, we've been duped into believing that health is only attainable through this modern healthcare system. And so then one has to ask the question, what did we do before that? before, you know, the uh, Eurocentric health definition, which is the absence of disease, was introduced to us. When you put your focus on disease, then you have to have a pathophysiology. You're always looking for what's wrong, not what's right. You're looking for what needs to be fixed, not what needs to be preserved. And so just just the definition in and of itself doesn't really align with my beliefs about health, the absence of disease. Well, just because I don't have a disease doesn't mean that I'm healthy mentally, physically, spiritually, you know. And so I'm working from the definition, the absence of dis-ease, the presence of ease. When I feel ease, I feel healthy. So there's four pillars that I focus on in this model. And I'm going to contrast them with the modern healthcare pillars, right? So the four pillars in modern healthcare that that I see all the time in practice are working out or exercise, dieting or you know some some restrictive diet of some kind, individualism, you know, it's all about me. I want to do for myself, uh, by myself, as long as humanly possible. Um, and, and with that, I, I, you know, pose the question, is longevity a measure of health? And should it be? Can you be healthy and die at 60? Can you live a good life and die at 52? Or is health synonymous with longevity? Um, and, and that kind of rolls into the individualism, being able to do for myself, by myself, as long as humanly possible. And then finally, intellectualism, knowledge as a way of, of um, you know, living and moving and having your being with, with intellect, knowing, being studied, learned, um, academia, etc., etc. In the health immemorial model, in my model... I'm looking at movement instead of exercise. Exercise, working out, there's a masculine energy that's kind of baked into that, this force, this going to, whereas movement is more functional. You know, you, you don't have to do CrossFit to be healthy, but 
maybe gardening, maybe being able to uh, do your household chores, play with your children or your grandchildren, enjoy a healthy sexual relationship with your partner. All of those things involve movement and movement is healthy. Exercise, again, it's this striving, this pushing, this, you know, more masculine kind of a uh, uh, energy, whereas movement is flow, movement is functional, movement is how we move through our day, being able to care for ourselves, being able to care for those we love, being able to participate in life. The second pillar of health and memorial is nourishment. I love talking about this topic because two communities that I focus on, uh, of course, the black community, <laughs> you know, my own lineage of black American, those of us who were born on the water, um, as we say, and, you know, America is our home, it is our country but we've never been given full citizenship as evidenced by a lot of the disparity we see in uh, wealth, in education, in healthcare outcomes, right? But nourishment, we are people who have always used whatever we had to um, nourish ourselves in our community. And nourishment is different than diet. A diet oftentimes can be like a scavenger hunt to find these specific items uh, that are considered good. And so when looking at food and looking at nourishment, when you apply words like good and bad, you know, you can really kind of other some folks and make health out of the reach of people who don't have access to the food that's considered good or make the people who do have access to it have to again put on that more masculine energy I gotta find it it's like a scavenger hunt I gotta make sure I have this much calories or this much fat or these types of food and not those types of food and there's not an ease in that right it's this pursuit to avoid disease, but there's no ease in that pursuit. Whereas with nourishment, it is taking what is around you, using what you do have access to, and nourishing yourself and your community with those things. It typically involves cooking. Um, and I think of movies like High on the Hog, where they show um, how how folks would use the entire portion of a pig and not throw any part of it away, making different dishes and different foods to nourish those in the community. Um, often they were not we're not talking about factory pigs either. We're talking about the folks who raise and love and care for that animal and that animal nourishing those same folks. Nourishment is different than diet because nourishment um, has a, a spiritual component to it. Um, 
I'm thinking of manna right now <laughs> and how that's what was available and it sustained the children of Israel. In our case, we've always used what's been around us to sustain us. I just finished up a, a storytelling workshop about health equity with um, a group of folks who were black and indigenous and Mexican and it was just so beautiful but listening to the way uh, the indigenous participants talked about fry bread it was so beautiful because I'd only heard it in that bad context right that label that this is something that's unhealthy it's not nutritional or, or you know what have you but it was nourishment and it sustained the people and the people have survived right they're still here because of that nourishment I look at love love is the third pillar of health immemorial and I compare and contrast love to individualism again that idea that me 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 I want to do for me um, as long as humanly possible. The trouble with individualism, which a lot of us have learned during this pandemic, is that it's not super healthy. Folks' mental health is suffering. We need each other. You know, we need each other, whether it's our platonic friendships, our romantic relationships, our communities of, of, of worship, our whatever the case may be sometimes it's our colleagues you know going into the office and being around people uh, uh, rather than having to work from home and that's not everybody um, that's not everybody some folks are quite happy working at home <laughs> and that's actually good for their for their mental health but I'm talking about love as um, as uh, uh, you know a pillar of health we don't talk about that enough I see people in clinic and I have to make decisions like should I put them on medication that helps prevent a stroke but has a risk of bleeding and if if the patient is someone who is elderly who uh, lives alone and has stairs in their house and maybe deals with a little dizziness or lightheadedness or falls from time to time I'm much less inclined because it's such a much higher risk for that person to fall um, to injure themselves and no one know whereas if it's a patient who lives in a multi-generational home and um, or, or has a family, a partner, um, neighbors that check in on them all the time, things like that. I'm like, it, I, I'm much more inclined to say, okay, the risk of the medication is the same for either person, but the person with these relationships, the person who has love in their life, is more likely um, to to not have a bad outcome or an adverse effect. Uh, to, to the medication because there are people around who will be able to, to notice things and, and care for them should something happen. Uh, romantic love, love of pets. Um, <laughs> some of my healthiest people are folks who have a dog to walk every day and it gets them out of the house. That's love, that relationship.
even if though it's not um, a human friend, it's something that gets us moving, right? It gets us in the out of doors where a lot of our worship takes place, um, depending on where you live. And, and worship is the fourth pillar of health immemorial. And worship is, it's a complicated word because so many of us have um, a complicated relationship with religion, a history of, of religious trauma. And that's not what I'm talking about when I say worship as a pillar of health immemorial. I'm talking about awe. I'm talking about the understanding, the belief that it doesn't end with you. That we can trust in the mystery of our faith. That we can not know and be okay not knowing. Be humbled and present and curious because we don't know. There is something too worship that is connected to our health when we believe that we need to have all the answers and we don't have the answers oh man that's when we're looking at a crisis of our faith that's when anxiety starts to sprout up from places because gosh if I can't fix this problem on my own with my intellect as I compare worship to intellectualism, intellectualism says evidence-based this and literature says and science says. Now understand, I have a master's degree in science, a master of science in nursing. I like science. I love science. Anyone who spends any amount of time around me probably will tell you I am a whole science nerd. But one of the things I love about science is that science is theory. Science is theory. We take what we think we know and we test it over and over again. And sometimes we're wrong. How many times have we seen that throughout the pandemic? When we're told one thing and a couple weeks later, you know, as, as that theory has been tested, we learn, ooh, that ain't, that ain't it actually. This is what we should be doing. And on and on and on. Science isn't final. But when we look at it through a lens of intellectualism, we're much more likely to become discouraged. Because we look at science like it's truth, like it's math, like it's absolute, and it simply isn't. Worship as a pillar of health says, I don't know, and I'm okay not knowing. I humble myself before something greater than I. For me, a lot of times worship takes place when I'm outside. You know, I live around lakes and beautiful trails and have mountain views. And I look at those things and I, I just, I can't help but see how small I am in, in the grand scheme of things. How honored I am to to get to be here at this time experiencing these things um, because that'll never happen again not in my family and community and time it's me and um, 
I feel like I have a purpose and I certainly enjoy unfolding that purpose and being curious about it and being in awe. Worship allows me to have flaws. Worship allows me to be flawed. And we're all flawed, but we all don't give ourselves and give each other permission to be flawed. And so in in that, I don't have to be a BMI of 22. I can be my whole bodied self and still be okay. <laughs> um, because I, I'm not applying my intellect in worship. So... Uh, that that kind of wraps up my big health reframe that I'm having so much fun researching, studying, writing about, and and examining in my own patients. You know who are the healthy ones. A lot of times, folks are really discouraged when they follow these really strict diets and they exercise all the time and they have these degrees and they're seeing me because they've had a heart attack. And I often will ask, what was going on in your life before your heart attack? And I hear the same thing, stress, 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 dis-ease, stress at work, stress in relationships, crisis of faith, you know, financial difficulties, all of these different things in the setting of, sure, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, smoking, all of those things they actually do matter but I wonder sometimes if those things you know eating a a, a diet that puts you at a higher risk drinking too much alcohol smoking not sleeping would we have those behaviors as prevalent if we had a little more movement nourishment love and worship in our lives would we feel the need to reach for that third drink, that cigarette? If we weren't depressed because of isolation and, you know, not giving ourselves permission to be flawed, would we get up and move more? Um, anyway, y'all, you know, February, I like to... Oh boy, I like to rebroadcast an episode with my mom, one that she and I did a year before her passing about heart failure, and heart failure claimed her life. I cannot end today's recording without paying homage to my mother, um, venerating her, because I am only here because of her, and she was my biggest cheerleader in all my work. February 8th of this year made one year since her passing and it's been oh it's been a year Um, I feel her with me and I'm grateful that she uh, put her stamp of approval on my work prior from departing this plane this realm Um, but I will say that her mother died at 57 years old her sister died in her 30s My mother was a month, she's about six weeks shy of 70, which maybe isn't super old, uh, but she had a practice of moving. She nourished herself and, and ate well and fed us well. She was surrounded by love with a big old family that we have, and 
my children will forever have the image of their grandmother with her Bible open in her lap um, because she was a worshiper. And, and so I credit some of the added good years that she had, some of the health that she enjoyed, um, to Health and Memorial. I will also rebroadcast that episode. Um, so there'll be a couple kind of coming at you um, because I want to share that forever and ever and ever. Heart failure claims a lot of lives and it can be very subtle. And uh, a lot of the times black folks and, and other people who are not respected um, as well in health spaces will have to present multiple times to get a proper diagnosis. That certainly was the case with my mom. And so I like to share that that episode with people um, so that maybe they can learn a little bit about heart failure, be able to identify symptoms within themselves as well as symptoms in their loved ones. Listen, I love this work. This is a labor of love. I wish I could do it more, but I promise you that every time I drop you an episode, it will be from the heart, it will be well thought out, we'll have great guests, and I appreciate you taking a little time out of your day to spend it here with me. Uh, And as much as you're able to, eat fresh and dance. Bye. for listening to the purple stethoscope i'm your host devin nixon family nurse practitioner you can find me on social media at d the np that's on twitter facebook instagram and now patreon if you like what you heard go ahead and share this episode and then head over to patreon to see how you can further support this work Music.